0: Today's episode is sponsored by Twala. Twala is a fintech company helping clients solve a fundamental business problem, how to best move money. Payments are a key component of every business, yet one that can be difficult to understand. Twala's ACH payment API removes the complexity involved in moving money to and from bank accounts, so businesses can continue to focus on their core revenue streams. ACH transfers are efficient, reliable, And with Dwala's API, they're available for any business with a developer friendly white labeled API businesses can seamlessly integrate and brand the entire end user experience while empowering teams to focus on generating revenue and company growth. Dwala is at the forefront of a payments revolution, having created a ready made connection to America's money moving network and is ready to help your business scale. I've partnered with Dwala for over two years and can vouch for two important aspects of their business. Solid, reliable technology and amazing customer support. Dwala enabled our team to achieve same-day pay on our platform. And if my team needs anything, we can rely on Dwala's support team to get an answer quickly. Start building against Dwala's API in the sandbox environment today for free. Visit dwala.com slash codestory to get started. That's D-W-O-L-L-A dot com slash Codestory.
1: Well, ideally we get to build the companies we want to work in, right? That, that's the idea. Early on, we focused on how in the hell do we solve this problem? We are not a financial institution. We don't hold the money. Our only incentive is to securely transmit the bits and the instructions oh my God, how do we get these bits where they need to go? The good news was, when we launched it, it kind of worked. And then over a period of four or five years, ended up with a million people on it moving a billion dollars a year. I am Ben Mill, CEO at Dwala.
0: This is Code Story a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laporte, and today how moving a billion dollars allowed Ben Mill to realize he'd built a best-in-class way to transfer money. All this and more on Code Story. Ben Milne grew up in a small town, and has had a pretty normal life. Raising a family, riding a stationary bike, and funding startups through selling music gear, he's been in the tech world for a good while. His second startup started out as a consumer product that you downloaded to move money between banks without using credit cards or paying hefty fees. What he discovered was the thing they were best at was payment processing infrastructure. So, he changed his business to focus on being a high-performing white-label solution for enabling others to process ACH payments. And in doing so, started phase two of his company, known as Dwalla. Well, let's jump into Dwalla. So for people that don't know who Dwalla is, what Dwalla does, tell me what the company is and what the product does.
1: Dwala connects our customers, or our clients' software to bank infrastructure said very simply our customers are connecting their software to banking infrastructure to move money and the reason they do that is for a innumerable number of reasons software these days simply needs to move money and that's where we come in we're highly performant highly durable and we believe really nice to work with so we make things that are difficult to work with simple
0: how did dwalla get started tell me the the origination and the creation story for the for the beginning of dwalla
1: well, Douala is really in its second phase. The first Dwalla was sort of born out of a problem that I had in my first company. All of the company's money came in through credit cards. And after a while, I started looking at, well, what's a way in order to get paid through a website that doesn't require paying credit card fees? And that led me to bank transfers and ACH. And what became sort of abundantly clear was banks had this sort of like pre-internet era technology, which was actually massively scalable, massively efficient and really low cost. It was just hard to access, hard to use, hard to control risk. So the general thesis was if we make this thing easy to use, well, would people use it? We think so. So the first product that was built was a consumer product that you logged into or download to move money through banks, not using credit cards, not using cards at all, not using those networks. The good news was when we launched it, it it kind of worked. Um, and then over a period of four or five years, ended up with a million people on it, moving a billion dollars a year. And we learned a lot, certainly while we were supporting that business. And later on decided that, The consumer business was not one that we were best in class at. What we were best in class at was infrastructure. And so we changed the business to really support being a white label provider to our clients to save them time and money building their own direct to bank interactions or integrations and have since sort of faded more into the background. And nowadays we focus on being that highly performant and scalable infrastructure.
0: So tell me about the first part of the product. Maybe there's two types of MVPs or maybe you used what was working in the first part. Tell me about the initial build. What sort of tools did you use and, and what sort of trade-offs did you make?
1: The initial build, thankfully, if it was sort of in a, a versioning. Version 1 and if we are now in version 212. Version 1 was, I can't even remember the name of the Microsoft product that we were using at the time. It was pre-MVC and basically what this thing did was it kicked out files that we would basically deliver to financial institutions. And then we'd sort of figure out what automation to put around that and how to think about things like risk and fraud and identity verification. But the initial kind of build that proved out that it could be done was a really, really hacked together system to just demonstrate a proof of concept. It did not look beautiful. In fact, it looked what I believe was downright shameful. And every once in a while I show somebody the initial logo that was built to put on the UI and it makes everybody cringe every
0: time. Do you believe that if you're proud of your first release, you're not shipping fast enough?
1: I'm definitely a believer in that. I think that the best way to test product is to get it in a client's hands and see what they do with it and in some cases there isn't a client and so just shipping it and seeing what happens can be really interesting but sometimes that's a really hard emotional barrier for people to get over the only problem is is a lot of innovation comes with feedback and if you don't derive processes to get those feedback or get that feedback you kind of just end up living in your own head and making decisions that maybe aren't right
0: so, how has the the product progressed? I think maybe dive into more of the you know consumer base versus you know infrastructure. How has that progression played out? On one end of the spectrum, you have
1: a self-hosted on a standalone box piece of software that's written in .NET, and on the other side, you have a highly performant AWS infrastructure that's largely built using Scala and all kinds of other distributed technologies that I haven't contributed code to in years. We have this like wide range. And the thing that's sort of the similarity from day one to day whatever we're on now is that the software has always been responsible for moving money in a secure and efficient manner. We are not a financial institution. We don't hold the money. Our only incentive is to securely transmit the bits and the instructions. And that's what we've always done since day one. And I think that's something we've always done really well. We've just gotten uh, much better at doing it across n number of instances and across n number of clients and across n number of companies that are scaling simultaneously that need our software to work asynchronously and be performant. And the type of engineering problems that we're solving now are certainly far different than the initial type of engineering problems on day one, which are really more in line with oh my God. How do we get these bits where they need to go? As opposed to now, we know that we need to make sure that we're managing a lot more bits.
0: Taking that core vision, how did you build over time and and now? How do you build your roadmap? How do you figure out what's important to, to build?
1: Roadmaps are hard, plain and simple. I mean, I think all companies sort of have a vision for what they want the company to be a strategy for executing on that. And then there's the, the the actual product roadmap that informs what's going to happen right now. And in terms of how we manage our product roadmap, the best person to answer that would be our product leader, Ben Schmidt. And having him sit down and talk about his process for gathering customer feedback and gathering feedback from internal stakeholders, negotiating across everybody to think about what's the right thing for us to do. And in a perfect world, there's an element of the roadmap that reflects Future technology enhancements that help the technology scale out really gracefully. There's feature enhancements that help clients and internal stakeholders. And then peppered in there somewhere is some of the new hot stuff, right? There's always something that's next. And I feel like payments right now are a little bit like modems in the nineties of there's always a new thing and the new thing enables all these other things. And there's like a new thing every month. And so there's a little bit of complexity there, but as long as that complexity is aligned with internal stakeholders and also with our clients and helping them be successful, you know, I think that the product roadmap really should reflect that.
0: How did you go about building the team early days and now? And maybe how has that, you know, changed or what have you learned through that process? What characteristics do you look for in picking the winning horses? Sometimes during recruiting, there's kind of a view
1: of you either get it right or you get it wrong. And I don't know that it's a zero sum game. And in the early days, it feels like it's almost uh, a stroke of luck just to find someone who is willing to work with you because there's so much risk. Any big idea sounds really crazy and those initial teams are really hard to build. And one of the things I know that in the early days, I really um, didn't pay enough attention to was how we were thinking about the diversity of the team. Where when we thought about the product, the product was being built to be um, supporting a diverse set of applications and supporting people and clients that are as diverse as the internet is. But we weren't being intentional about building the team internally in that way. And it wasn't until, I want to say maybe two years ago, we started really thinking about that more intentionally. And now I think we are much better at that. I think I underestimated the value of focusing on diversity in not only the company's makeup, but as a part of the recruiting process and hiring process and about how it could actually help us serve our clients better. And that's been a big shift for the company and I think a big shift for the better.
0: How do you structure your team to align with product development and kind of, you know, you mentioned you learned how to focus on diversity and that that can um, you know mean different ideas and, and perspectives and things, and that's really good. How do you take that type of team and structure it to align with how you need to make your product? Our actual org structure looks fairly classical, but
1: the way that we sort of think about the process of debating and negotiating is probably more non-classical. And I think debate and challenges and a dialogue about what the right thing is and the wrong thing is something that you need to create safe spaces for whether or not that's a couple hours a week or it just happens organically it's different for all companies but for us i think building it into what our offsites look like what our one-on-ones look like what our weekly meetings look like so we've got time to actually discuss real topics and have a intellectually honest conversation about those where differing opinions don't mean a dividing line they mean there's an opportunity for people to change their minds and if you change your mind, there should be no judgment. It's like a blameless retro. It doesn't mean somebody's wrong just because they changed their mind. And we should not be shy about trying to stick up for the things we believe in. And we don't all agree all the time. Um, if we did, we'd just be clones of one another. And company would probably be shipping garbage.
0: In building a product that's more, you know, infrastructure-based, more behind the scenes, how do you keep your team's eye on the ball early on and now to, to build things to scale efficiently?
1: You know, it's easier early on when everybody fits in the same room. I think as the companies kind of grow out, someone told me once that at 10 people and at 20 people and 20 people and 40 people, every time the company doubles, everything breaks. And so when you think about that, you just need to rethink your your communication processes. I can't speak for all companies, but I can say that one thing here that I think is really important is setting very intentional quarterly goals that include all company goals that go all the way to individual goals, myself included. Now, there are varying degrees of benefits from that if it's transparent to everybody all the time versus some of it maybe isn't because you clearly don't want to single people out. As long as team members understand, again, myself included, I am a team member, I have individual goals that tie up to the company goals, how their contributions actually align and being intentional about that process and unwavering in your commitment to actually follow it, I think can be really helpful. And I think it helps align all the teams around what it is we're doing, why we're doing it. And it doesn't mean that it's always perfect. It actually means there's always a highlight for where you can improve. Kind of admitting that, yes, there's always opportunity for improvement. Let's take, up, take ourselves up on that opportunity and actually just improve. I think just doing that consistently uh, is really healthy for
0: everybody. Support for today's episode is brought to you by Hackbright Academy. Hackbright Academy is an all-women coding bootcamp in San Francisco. They were founded with the mission to provide women with a personalized path to a software engineering career. One of the most impressive things about the school is the tight-knit community they've created. They truly believe in empowering each other and working to change the ratio of women in the tech industry. Hackbrite firmly believes that when you combine a community of like-minded, ambitious women and a network of strong support, the possibilities are endless. Check out their programs at hackbrightacademy.com. Did you start out building Douala in in more of a monolithic architecture and then move to some microservices? Did you focus on more scalable architecture early on? How did you approach that?
1: Early on, we focused on how in the hell do we solve this problem? I hope I am always very honest about that because as time goes on, I think there is a desire sometimes for founders to tell this like beautiful story, but the reality was we were just trying to figure out how to do it in the beginning. And as the system grew, there was a while where we were just trying to keep the wheels on. There was a point where we got over that hump and we started thinking about, do we want this to be our technology architecture? And the answer was no. We want to move it into a different type of environment because it has these advantages. And then we started realizing, hmm, well, we're in this new environment, we actually have all these new opportunities to be leveraging microservices and transitioning some of our old .NET stack, Scala, In what order would we do those things? And that's really where the new engineering leadership really started to be able to take more ownership over the engineering stack and not just deal with the technical debt that was created by the people before them. That transition and those changes from my perspective are also the things that are helping the company be successful today, because when we look at some of our all company goals, we're always performing on our uptime number. We're always making things faster. And a lot of the things that we're doing technically are enabled by the decisions that the engineering leaders made when we made that transition.
0: What are you most proud of with Dwalla? In your mind, you think of Dwalla, and you think of all that you've accomplished. What stands out as what you're most proud of?
1: I really like the people I work with. They are constantly doing things that I am not able independently to do. And the fact that I get to be a part of that always gives me great pride. Separately, my reward system is seeing what people build on Dwalla's platform. So when I look at Variable or Rally Road or anybody building a new type of innovation that we didn't think of I get a huge kick out of that and so Every day when i'm coming in and I get to see something new or learn about somebody new building something Again, that's that's my reward system. I feel a lot of pride in seeing what other people build
0: You're essentially getting to work Alongside a lot of different startups and a lot of different solutions and be a part of their success. Is that true? Yeah, you nailed it.
1: We get exposed to hundreds of the most innovative companies around the country with extremely talented engineers, motivated people, building new experiences that couldn't have existed in a pre-internet era. I mean, none of this shit could have existed 40 years ago. And every week we see something new. And I think that is awesome. And it is a super exciting thing to see and be a part of.
0: Well, let's shift gears a little bit. So, So tell me about a mistake that was made and how your team responded to it.
1: There are many mistakes every day, I am sure. And in some cases, they are probably tolerated because I work with really nice and kind people. And then in other ways, there are some larger mistakes that have played themselves out internally and externally. And I think one of the the big ones that that we made historically looking back, and certainly I was uh, a huge part of this, was we really made a decision to go all in to sell directly into banks at one point. And that meant that we were gonna go do integrations directly with each one of the banks we we're gonna work with. That was a all-consuming, wear a suit every mm-hmm. day, live on the corner of 33rd and park in new york make every day about making that work and there was an element to it of it could be really great but in hindsight which is always simpler it is really hard to get banks to do things on a timeline that works for you and we wouldn't have learned had we not done that but what we learned coming out of that was that we could create a framework that would allow the banks to join our platform and do the integration directly to us as opposed to vice versa and that's turned out to be a great shift and i wish it would have started there it was definitely a mistake for our business and the people that were in the company at the time to go down the road of doing the integration directly with the banks it was a long drawn out painful process you know as we learned they're also more concerned when new people they don't know come into their technology and start writing things to it and are much more comfortable actually extending it on their own and doing that with their current team and current staff. And that's turned out to be a good thing, but it took us three years to figure it out.
0: What does the future look like for Dwala
1: and for your team? Right now it's all about supporting clients' innovations. We feel really good about the current product but that doesn't mean it's perfect. We need to continue to build out the feature set to support our clients' growth. Some of that means new value types, some of it means new transfer types, and some of it's related to data, data management in the dashboard. There are things that we need to do to continue to support our clients, and that's a, that's a big part of it. We are fortunate that we are still very small in a very big market, so being mindful of the fact that not to build too wide too quickly, kind of become a Swiss Army knife that does everything but nothing well. We think about that often to make sure that we're focusing on our strengths. And also we continue to build out our team. We're fortunate that we're in a place where we have a great recruiting and hiring pipeline, but we don't have enough people yet to do all the things we want and need to do. So
0: focusing on hiring more really great people is also a focus for the business. Can you speak to some of the We'll call them third-party integration, but partner systems that you're building to enable other things or recommend other partners out there. You know, our APIs are are
1: built to support businesses and financial institutions and governments that basically want to build software on top of banking infrastructure. And one of the ways that we've really supported new types of products is by having an account structure that supports banks having an account on our platform or MSBs having an account on our platform that enables specific types of interactions. One of the things that I think is really interesting is there's a partner uh, company that is doing card issuance. Actually, I think there are three companies that are doing card issuance with our clients that are supported by a technical workflow, which is unique to us, which is something we think is really cool and whether or not that's card issuance or push to credit or push to card um, or basically enabling funds flows for international FX transfers or international delivery, all supported through our platform through some of these other partnerships. And in about a month at Money 2020, we're gonna release a standardized technical implementation for third parties that is sort of the rules of engagement for third parties to do technical implementations on our client applications without ever touching the money. If you're familiar with PSD2, starts to look a little bit like PSD2, of opening up the platform, and that's something that I think is going to be incredibly unique, not just in the United States, but I'm really excited for what that means for the future of our business and also the future of our clients' businesses.
0: So if I'm understanding right, that's creating like a just standard protocol of how to interact with your platform, never touch the money, but but utilize your infrastructure to enable them to do all kinds of sorts of things, but it's really that standardized protocol. Is that right?
1: Yeah, you nailed it. Our infrastructure or the design is to put our client in control of what partners they give that information or data to, or our capability to, if they want them to be able to initiate transfers on behalf of themselves or even their customers. And so you take this incredibly complex financial infrastructure and you make it available to software engineers and put them in the driver's seat with the rules of engagement, so we're not getting into trouble or they're not getting into trouble violating certain rules. We think that could be really powerful. We're really excited to see what people do with it. And a big thing we think about a lot here is with these new types of enhancements, how do we save engineering time? How do we help our clients roll features out without spending a thousand hours negotiating with a new financial institution, and a new technology provider? How do we enable them just to turn that on? And all of a sudden you've got card issuance. Or turn that on and all of a sudden you've got a real-time fraud monitoring system that learns based on your actual application's usage. How do we enable these extremely complex, hard things really quickly?
0: Name an architect or a CTO or CEO or entrepreneur person that you look up to uh, and tell me why. You know, on the tech side, I spend a lot of time with Skylar, our VP of engineering.
1: Skylar and I spend a lot of time talking about some extremely hairy technical issues when it comes to payments infrastructure. And I absolutely love working with that guy. I think the world of his approach, and I also think he has a way of thinking about solving problems that I always learn something from him when we talk about how we're going to solution something. I find a lot of value in that because it's a working partnership. I find a lot more value in those working partnerships right now in my life than I think I do some of the the blogs that five years ago I probably would have answered with. that. I'm just having a good time learning from the team
0: right now. So if you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently?
1: Without being overly cliche and sort of using the, you know, everything's easy in hindsight, I was trying to think, how would we have gotten here without making the same mistakes? We've gone our own way on so many different topics. I don't know how we would have got here without making all those mistakes. The one that I pointed out regarding going direct to the banks. It could have been great, it just wasn't, and it didn't work out the way we thought it would. Had we built the technology for them to implement directly into us, it could have worked, but maybe we would have run into the same problems, I don't actually know. By the time we sort of flipped the model in its head, we'd actually contributed to the Federal Reserve Faster Payments Task Force. We've earned credibility through building central services with the Gates Foundation Moja Loop Project. You know, we earned a little bit more street cred to be taken seriously on scalable ledger projects. And we didn't have that when we started doing this stuff directly with the banks. So I struggle with this one a little bit. I... I'm glad and one thing that I know I wouldn't change is a desire to get our product in the hands of people that use it and being receptive to feedback because sometimes it doesn't work the way that we want it to and people having the confidence to say, ah, oh, I don't like this very much. Have you thought about doing it this way provides honestly ideas and insights that we independently didn't have and I'm hopeful that uh, we're going to continue that.
0: What advice would you give someone just getting started down this road, either a startup or someone with a, an idea to solve a big problem? What advice would you give them?
1: Uh, find people who lift you up. You know, it's a long game that we're all playing and it's not always simple. You learn not to take certain things personally, but something that certainly I think helps throughout the years is finding and surrounding yourself with people who continue to help you move forward and help lift you up. And if you make a conscious decision to, or if you don't make a conscious decision to surround yourself with people that support and want to help, I think it could feel overwhelming to say the least. Don't underestimate how much the people around you are going to help you and, you know, don't be afraid to show them gratitude when they do.
0: Well, Ben, thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you for your time and telling the creation story of Dwala. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Super cool. And this concludes another chapter of code story. Code story is a production of TouchTap LLC and is hosted and produced by Noah Lappart and edited by George Macharco. Special thanks to Deanna Chapman and Stephanie Campisi for their promotional support. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google play breaker, or the podcasting app of your choice. Make sure to check us out at Codestory.co or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn.